Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network with me, Ivan Simic. Thanks for downloading this edition of the program, and I do hope you enjoy it. The Balkan as a region still brings a lot of confusion, not only among the general population and media, but among the scholars as well. It does not help that the term Balkan has many meanings, and it is often changing according to the political situation. It also entails many connotations. What consists of the Balkan geographically and why so many people attempt to negate their belonging to the region? My guest today has attempted to provide geographical analysis of the Balkan through a powerful GIS and remote sensing analysis. His recent book, Mapping Versatile Boundaries, Understanding the Balkans, offers vast material to apply historical and economic geographers, as well as political scientists. Veggie Darkin is a geographer, a research fellow at the National Center for Scientific Research in France, with over two decades of research experience in the Balkan area. Welcome to New Books Network. Okay, as a geographer, what does the Balkan mean to you? Oh, well, it's a vast question. Uh, well, first I'd say it's, uh, it's uh, a land of experience for me, because I've been uh, walking and uh, traveling this region for 40 days now, and I have a lot of friends over there, and uh, those places where I've been traveling are, uh, are close to my heart, I'd say. Uh, because uh, I've encountered a lot of people, very interesting, very kind people, and uh, all this is, uh, it was, it was and, it, and it still is a great experience for me. But what prompted your first interest in the Balkans when you started all this traveling and research? What was that interesting thing about that? Yes. Uh, well, to answer this question, I have to, to go back to, uh, to past times in my personal experience. Uh, I have to say that I've been studying geography at the university in, uh, in uh, Aix-en-Provence in, in southern France. And uh, I was studying uh, geography of the Mediterranean. And then I realized uh, during, uh, well, during my, my courses that it was, that there was a great void about what was happening in the Balkan area. Uh, well, if you, as a student, I was uh, looking for books, uh, fundamental books to understand this region. And I couldn't find anything because there was almost nothing at all that could ex- explain me how this area works, actually. And it was, at the beginning, very, very surprising for me to, uh, to, to acknowledge this uh, reality. So, uh, as, it seemed, as it seemed to me a very awkward, an awkward situation, I decided to uh, study uh, this area uh, quite early, quite early. I was uh, I was an early graduate student, so that's it. It may be a coincidence. Uh, some sense of uh, uh, well, something was missing, I'd say. And uh, as a researcher, I still think that there are lots of things missing. Now, going so many years forward, and just as a general conclusion, why is the Balkans so different to the rest of Europe, in your opinion, in terms of borders and its geography? Well. Uh, well, it's complicated. 
Well, maybe um, uh, this uh, this array, you know this array of, of Europe is uh, is quite unknown to us uh, for many reasons, and the first one would be, I say, that uh, this this part of Europe uh, has remained out of any scope during decades uh, during the Cold War, and this has many consequences. Uh, everything that has happened in this area during more 50 years or maybe more than 50 years is almost unknown to us. And this has wide, wide consequences. Uh, well, you know, if you ask to anybody in France or in other Western countries, where is located uh, Macedonia, Slovenia, and other uh, micro countries, the tiny little countries, uh, it's highly likely that they, they, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. And this is a, a starting reasoning for me because it already, you know, it it entails already many things. Uh, they absolutely ignore their neighboring countries. Well, in terms of uh, knowledge and location, uh, did you see any differences between, uh, let's say, Greece and Macedonia that you have mentioned, in terms of how well known were they uh, and their geographies? Uh, well, uh, Again, complicated. Of course, there are many, many local differences between Greeks and other Slav, uh, Slav-speaking uh, countries. Uh, but I take the, the 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 basic the basic reasoning behind this is that they all these country these countries uh, are uh, they come from an old Ottoman area, and this is a legacy, a common legacy at first. Uh, second, uh, behind uh, this uh, common Ottoman legacy, you you you'll find local trajectories, diverging tra- trajectories, uh, where, where which uh, which have have led people in different directions and countries and regions and areas behind that. And maybe uh, something very specific to the area is this uh, high 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 fragmentation. Uh, and it's not only about uh, tiny countries, but within those countries, you have sub-regions, sub-districts, which are very different between them. And uh, maybe it's uh, the reason why uh, these arrays uh, are difficult to understand for us. And it actually takes a very long time to understand what, what, uh, what happened there. So once it really tackled your curiosity to explore the Balkan, what was the main challenge for you as a geographer to work in the Balkans? Uh, well, basically, the first challenge is to learn foreign languages. <laughs> and uh, it's quite difficult. Uh, personally, I've learned Greek. Uh, I know some Bulgarian and, uh, and, uh, and uh, also a bit of Albanian. But uh, mainly, uh, well, uh, learning these languages already takes you uh, many years. Uh, well, second reason, uh, well, you know, uh, no, maybe I've forgotten your first question. I've, I've lost myself. What, what was it? Uh, I, I was asking, what was the main challenge for you as a geographer to start working in the Balkans? What was the state of the literature? Uh, how hard was it to um, actually get into the field? Yeah, yeah, okay, I know. Uh, well, the main challenge for me would be, uh, was and still is to map. This area. Yes, it might seem awkward, but uh, it's uh, it's true. You know, when you're studying those countries, the first uh, the first thing you uh, the first problem uh, you you are bumping into 
is uh, the absence of any uh, uh, precise, accurate map. And this is a, a, a major difficulty for a geographer. Uh, so my first challenge was to, to map, and I'm already, uh, I, I'm working every day, I've been working every day for years uh, on building uh, special databases, uh, building statistics, using statistics, and, uh, and building myself my own databases, which are missing elsewhere. So this is a main challenge for me because geographers uh, work, in my opinion, uh, mainly with maps. And mapping, uh, mapping lands and territories is a way to build some, uh, well, some kind to, to, to get close to some kind of, of ground truth. I see, but it seems odd that uh, the Balkan region that is that, that was often so contested between the great power is uh, actually lacking in terms of maps. How come? How come that it was never mapped properly as other parts of Europe? Well, to answer this question, you have to understand that uh, this is mainly for security reasons, because those countries have, uh, have been built uh, through wars and uh, many wars with great difficulties behind that, and as a consequence, securing their outer boundaries was uh, a priority, uh, as well as, well, it, it concerns both external development and internal development. So securing uh, the, the national perimeters is a first priority. And as a consequence, and maybe as you know, uh, when, uh, when lands are highly contested, uh, you have, um, uh, you have well, the military, uh, military authorities have uh, a full power over, over those contested outside regions. And uh, usually the access to maps is prohibited. That, I see. That's, uh, and what is the state now, since uh, many of these countries are opening uh, towards the European Union? And so are these maps still considered as uh, military secrets or are they available to public and uh, researchers? Well, there are, there are two sides to, to, to this question. The first one is, of course, with remote sensing, uh, many places can be mapped uh, today more easily, more easily better than yesterday. Uh, the, the, second, uh, the second point is about, and, um, uh, well, there, is still, there are still difficulties in accessing, in, in accessing uh, many data, including uh, map data today. Uh, well, in Western countries, we are used to, uh, uh, to, uh, to access to uh, very widely developed databases, geographical databases, but in these areas, which, well, which are missing means, financial means, uh, those uh, geographic databases are, are missing still today, and they, have, and they still have to be there. I see. Let's return once again to the specificity of the Balkan borderlands. You had devoted a, a big part of your book to the borderlands and uh, going through uh, why they are so specific and why the Balkan borderlands are so important. So could you please uh, summarize or uh, tell us the main points of why the Balkan borderlands are so important and so contested? Well, uh, if you look at at, uh, at the map, of the Balkan area, you'll see that uh, boundaries are everywhere. This is uh, the first um, the first point. 
Once uh, you consider this, uh, this reality, uh, as a consequence, you'll see that uh, when you try to study those, those uh, well, even central areas, core areas, core national areas, you'll see that borderlands are, are never far, far away. Uh, there's another thing I can, I, I can, I can say. Uh, if you look at the, well, there's a dozen of, uh, well, about 10 or 11, depending on the definition of uh, about area, you have about 10 capital cities. If you look at the location of those capital cities, you'll see that they are uh, maybe 20, uh, 30, 50 kilometers away from the, the, the closest boundaries. So in most cases, central areas, what might be considered central areas, capital cities in their, in their urban region, are already border cities. So the concept of, of borderland, of borderland, is uh, is universal in the area. If you want to study these countries, you have to study boundaries and borderland together. You have talked a lot about uh, uh, transportation systems and how poor it is in the region, about the infrastructure. But still, many people are crossing these borders quite easily, sometimes illegally. Uh, so to what extent can we talk about real borders? And to what extent are we talking about imaginary borders that are not really there for the people who are living in these borderlands? Well, uh, tricky point. Uh, you, well, I know the media focus, mainly focus on those, on those, on trespassing uh, borders and boundaries. Uh, for me, it was a secondary issue to be, to, to be true. Uh, this, this, um, well, I've not placed emphasis on, on uh, transportation, uh, uh, on the transportation issue because it was only for me, uh, the idea was only uh, to, to introduce a further reasoning. And uh, of course, uh, those boundaries are not uh, are not closed or fully closed, depending on the areas, uh, depending on the different pensions, uh, local pensions. They might be open, semi-open, or, or fully closed. And these conditions uh, vary in time and space constantly. Uh, so for me, um, studying. Uh, Borderlands and boundaries through this perspective of migration mainly, uh, was a kind of trap because when you focus on this aspect of, uh, uh, of border management, uh, you focus on limited, uh, perimeters, border, uh, border perimeters, boundary lines and demarcation. Uh, if you want to study, uh, borderlands as a full geographical system and, um, in this way, uh, it has surface, it, it's, a, uh, it's an aerial phenomenon. Uh, you have to, uh, to leave this migration aspect, uh, aside, in my opinion. Uh, because, as I said it, uh, the borderlands are complex geographical systems. I don't know if I... Yeah, it uh, makes sense. Ah. But if we stick to these transportation networks, and it seems to me that you have uh, paid a lot of attention to the transportation networks. So how it reflects borders? And there were also parts of the book where you actually reflected your own experience of how hard it is to travel between different capitals, uh, how poorly connected they are. So what does it tell us about spatial mobility of the people living there in the Balkans? 
yes, it, it tells it, it tells uh, it tells us much about uh, how close uh, others are aware, and this is already significant. This is a way. This is um, yes, a direct way to measure uh, the enclosure of those areas. And uh, well, I say through trans transportation problems and issues, you can you can study. Uh, the way those lands remain close to one to one another, and uh, I say furthermore that uh, well, field inquiries for me and visiting those those lands was uh, was a prerequisite. Uh, that's that's for sure, because uh, well, you know, in my experience, uh, scientists who who work on these issues on on border on border issues. Uh, usually uh, develop uh, a very interesting uh, reasoning, but uh, they sometimes like, uh, lack some field experience. And when you cross, when you travel those countries, you discover very often that ground truth doesn't match which word is, uh, is said and written in many books in geopolitics and political science. I see. Um, so basically, how we uh, overcome that obstacle? What would you suggest? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you mean uh, general obstacles? Uh, what, what kind of obstacles? Uh, uh, obstacle that it doesn't really uh, uh, match the the situation in the field. Oh, there are many. You know, this is uh, the, the difference between. Uh, highly complex and uh, interesting theories and, and ground materiality. Uh, many, in many, many circumstances, you find that uh, what is developed uh, in, uh, in scientific literature uh, is not really adapted to what you can see and observe through landscapes. This is, you know, geographies when uh, you practice field, when you, when you travel your, 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 your research area. Uh, you realize that landscapes are a basic material for you, and uh, landscapes teach you uh, uh, teach you many things that uh, that are missing in those uh, in those books in political science. Well, I could I could take many examples, but uh, well, that's what I could. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And um, well, since I'm a historian, one thing. Uh, uh, really caught my eye. I mean, in the book there are many resources that historians could uh, easily use and uh, that actually have to rethink. And one of those things is uh, the concept of border resilience and uh, how to measure border resilience during the time. First, could you tell us uh, and tell us, tell our listeners more about what is uh, a concept of border resilience and why does it matter? Well, uh, resilience is uh, well is a concept uh, quite widely used today. And the meaning for me is quite simple. Uh, the more uh, a boundary uh, is uh, adapted, and the more it exists through time, uh, the more its weight is important. Uh, the the more well, the more likely. Uh, it is to to build landscapes, as geographers say, and uh, well, this is this is quite acknowledged and corresponds to what you can see uh, when you when you're uh, visiting those areas. 
we can see almost everywhere that uh, past boundaries have left have left deep deep uh, traces in uh, in in the landscapes. Uh, so uh, this is a way to introduce resilient the concept of port borders, those boundaries. Uh, these are, uh, are traces of past boundaries left behind them when external boundaries become internal boundaries afterwards. And those past boundaries build new landscape and they shape uh, the internal structure frameworks of, uh, of those uh, nation states. And since we know that there were uh, different empires that actually had their contact zones in the Balkans, can you still observe that these contact zones exist in terms of border and borderlands between the Ottoman Empire, for example, and the Habsburg Empire? Well, this is a question about history. That's right. Uh, I, well, I'm not a historian, uh, so I'll try to answer this, uh, this question. Uh, well, in my opinion, uh, and it was the starting point of my work, I wanted to study the past Ottoman uh, Balkan land. And uh, because uh, uh, the Ottoman Empire has left uh, deep imprints in the in landscape, in, uh, in sociology, in populations, and so on, and they, they left traces uh, everywhere. Uh, so um, the, the contact zone between, uh, between the empires uh, is something that still weighs today in uh, contemporary history. Uh, everywhere you are uh, looking at uh, in those areas, you can find uh, past uh, marshland. Well, the concept is quite uh, unknown today because uh, boundaries are thought to be fixed uh, demarcations, settled different ground, linear artifacts. Uh, in past times, especially at a time when the empires were, were powerful, uh, those uh, borderlands were, were not defined truly by lines. They were rather a red marshland, and they were managed in, in a very, very different way. Sovereignty was not absolute in those areas. Uh, it was a, a kind of a sovereignty by proxy. You had, uh, uh, on, in this marshland, you have local districts uh, had a local autonomy. And uh, this was very important because, because those early autonomies uh, were uh, seeds uh, to further national awakening. So as I see it, the contact zone between uh, the, the past empires, powerful, powerful empires, uh, is, um, is just uh, what uh, has given rise to further national independences. Oh, I see. Um, but in that sense, we can also make a, a point in history where actually borders, as we understand them today, became more important than our modern concepts, right? Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, in my work, I began to, uh, to map and to study uh, these, uh, these border issues uh, from the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, well, because uh, in the early 19th century, it's the beginning of national awakenings. And, uh, well, in the 18th century, but these historians are, uh, well, are 
they know the, the, the kind of things better than me. Uh, in the 18th century already, when the, the Ottoman Empire uh, has abandoned its, its last uh, uh, position of ever-expanding empire, uh, when uh, it bumped into a physical position of uh, the Western uh, empires, uh, it was the beginning of um, a settling uh, of, of a process which has, has led to setting linear boundaries. But this is an imported concept uh, from uh, from Western land. It's not absolutely not uh, an Ottoman concept. Okay, so now if we move to more contemporary times, to the 1990s and the conflict that uh, shook the region, uh, and uh, if it plays that uh, conflict um, uh, by uh, seeing that the uh, borders were one of the most important issue in the conflict. So, uh, what are the main lessons regarding borders and borderlands that modern geography can teach us regarding the conflict of 1990s? Well, it's uh, it's already it's very complicated because well the process is logical uh, from a historical point of view. Uh, well, it was the last stage of the Ottoman. Uh, Collapse, decomposition, uh, and well, this is quite known among specialists. Uh, but another striking point for me is to see that uh, um, among those countries uh, that uh, that uh, well that, that came out from the, the Yugoslav wars, uh, what's very impressive, impressive, and this is especially true for the latest countries to assess independence, uh, is that those tiny countries uh, exist through building walls around them and boundaries of the expression of a kind of isolation, of course, from surrounding countries, surrounding land. But together, uh, building those, those boundaries implies, at the same time, building gates uh, that allow an external opening towards uh, the, the uh, well, the, the neighbors, the neighboring regions, uh, uh, which uh, which they were in contact, and this is for me very striking, and it's a and it's a striking paradox: uh, building boundaries and at the same time open gates to uh, to defeat those same boundaries. Yes, in your books you have actually provided many maps with uh, showing how remarkable it is that there are so many border crossings between all these countries. And I was then wondering to what extent is that uh, uh, conscious political decision and to what extent is that just uh, internal pressure from the people who are living at the borderlands, who are maybe used to crossing borders uh, quite easily, or maybe uh, going to other countries, doing some business there, trading, and then returning to their home. Because what you have shown in these maps, there are, there are uh, uh, 20, 30 border crossings, for example, between uh, 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 just for Serbia alone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you have uh, two two sides. Uh, the first one is uh, that um, well, those states once uh, established have to survive, so they have to organize to build their their own economic viability. This is a first step, and it's uh, absolutely uh, obvious. Uh, second second uh, aspect uh, of the issue is that. And you're right on this point. 
usually um, the gates that are created uh, to cross those boundaries uh, are built where uh, already used to exist uh, communication means. That's right. So you have both aspects uh, of the question converge. That is fascinating, and uh, it's particularly fascinating that uh, uh, there are still so many walls and gates, but still there are so many border disputes still ongoing in the Balkans, and one of them between Croatia and Slovenia, which is also interesting because both countries are uh, members of the EU. But I was wondering, what is the role of scholars, of geographers, in solving that dispute? <laughs> well, you, uh, your question supposes that scholars play a political role and that uh, well, uh, they, well, well, their writings might be considered by, by uh, uh, deciders. And I'm afraid that uh, this is not always true, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, uh, providing information is already, uh, is already uh, well, significant for me. That's enough. Uh, afterwards, but, uh, what, politi what politicians decided uh, can make, what, what they can make, make uh, permit, uh, well, if it's uh, useful for them, that's, uh, that's perfect. In, in your book, you have argued quite a lot that there is a, a severe lack of geographical data. That's a serious problem in the Balkans. So can you tell us more what is lacking now in 2016 and how it actually affects lives and politics in the Balkans? So not only scholarly debate, but uh, uh, but political uh, political relations and how it actually affects the Balkans. That lack of geographical material. Well, uh, if you if you speak about uh, the lack of uh, giant databases, I'd say that uh, well, uh, slowly uh, the, the the situation is becoming better. Uh, but uh, there's a problem of means. Uh, second, uh, I'd say that building, uh, building special and special databases and say also some difficulties because, uh, the, uh, well, the, the institutes, uh, that, uh, that have, that can build those, uh, databases are usually official institutions and they follow, uh, official, uh, orders uh, official, um, how can I say it? Uh, well, they have, they, I don't like to explain. Um, they are bound, uh, in their in investigation and they have to, uh, to follow those very old channels. Uh, so if you want to understand those places, uh, um, accessing those new databases is, which are mainly arising from, uh, the European Union. Very important, but uh, the um, the uh, the second aspect uh, is that those those uh, new databases are very formal, and sometimes they they lack uh, some kind of uh, uh, well deep information is missing in those databases. Uh, but is it changing now that we consider, uh, for example, private companies who are uh, for example, like Google or Windows, who are providing maps for uh, daily use for so many users in the Balkans. Uh, is it changing completely the landscape of who has uh, 
who has the authority of providing the information and proper mapping? Well, uh, there's a kind of confusion in your question because you, uh, you, you don't make the difference between uh, what is... For me, uh, Google Maps is not, uh, is not a mapping. I see. For me, it's, it's, it's simply uh, a represent, representation of, uh, of what is seen from, from an airspace, uh, from, a, from, a, from a sensor placed in orbit. Uh, for me, building maps is something else. Uh, so building maps is uh, providing some kind of new interpretation of uh, ground truth. This can be made through remote, remote sensing tools, but it implies a large part of interpretation. And if you look at those, uh, at those maps, those, uh, well, it's the interpretation, and those Google Maps and, and uh, such, uh, such tools are missing this interpretation part. So for me, they are raw materials, but uh, this doesn't make geographical databases. I see. So, uh, in your opinion, what is yet to be done in geographical research of the Balkans? What do you see as the main priorities now? Well, <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> oh, difficult, uh, difficult question. Uh, well, you know, the Greek crisis and the way those countries are integrated into Europe is, uh, in my opinion, uh, quite misunderstood. And... Uh, I'd say that uh, there's a kind of uh, blackout about what's, what's happening today in this, in this area. Well, this blackout is not entirely uh, new because, you know, we have been, as I, as I said it before, um, well, during the, the, the communist era, we already had no information about those lands, those countries. And I'd say with the crisis, it's the same today. So what would you set as the main priorities, perhaps, for your future work as well, in terms of mapping Balkans uh, borders? Uh, well, there are many aspects in addition to my work. The first one is I'm, well, I'm considering and I'm working on environmental issues today, because uh, those issues are also very important in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, the second aspect, well, if, if I speak uh, about my works, uh, the second aspect will be about uh, another kind of geography. I'm also I've been investigating another issue for years uh, about extraterritoriality in the Balkan area uh, through uh, through uh, uh, through Mount Athos and the place of the Greek Orthodox Church uh, in the area. So you see, it's uh, something quite different. But you have you have passes passes with my uh, with my uh, passwords because. Uh, well, extraterritoriality is already uh, expressed somehow in, uh, in studying uh, boundaries. But uh, from an external point of view, to leave aside my own words, uh, I'd say that, um, uh, well, you know, there are, there are uh, countries uh, that are absolutely lacking studies, and especially in uh, Western uh, literature. Uh, thinking about uh, Kosovo, uh, Serbia, and other and uh, Macedonia, but also uh, at a lesser extent Bulgaria and Turkey, you have a lot of work still has to be done on those countries. 
now particularly interesting and politically contested that uh, in 2015 and 2016 we are uh, seeing new changes in terms of borders and crossings in the Balkans now with the refugee crisis and new new walls being built. So uh, what can you tell us uh, about that, about these very, very recent changes uh, that are also reflecting geography of the Balkans? Well, this is quite simple. You know, boundaries, uh, as, as I told it, uh, open, are open or closed, depending on bilateral relations, relations between neighboring countries. And it has always been the case, and it still is the case today. This is boundaries uh, in uh, international relations are uh, an adjustment variable, you know, and uh, I, I think this is still weighing in uh, in uh, present contemporary, very contemporary history. Thank you, Reggie Dake. I can only recommend your book uh, and wonderful resources to uh, not only geographers but to historians and to political scientists as well, and to generally all people who are interested in the Balkans. Thank you very much for participating in the New Books Network interview. My pleasure.